0: Chapter, last section, last passage in the Gospel of John. Um, John chapter 21. And uh, let me just read to introduce the uh, passage this morning. Let me just read. Uh, we already looked last week at the first part of the chapter, but I want to reread that because it's just a fun story and it really sets the stage for what follows. So let me start reading at verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I am going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, "'Fellows, have you caught any fish?' "'No,' they replied. Then he said, "'Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some.' So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.' When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, said Peter, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, "Follow me." Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, "Lord, who will betray you?" Peter asked Jesus, "What about him, Lord?" Jesus replied, "If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you?" As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Uh, this uh, this is a an important story. Uh, certainly important for Peter, because <laughs> uh, all the other gospels leave Peter, you know, denying Jesus and kind of just hanging out there. And uh, I'm very thankful that John. Gives us this uh, fills in some of the gap about Peter's life. Now, of course, in Acts we see Peter, completely different guy, a guy who filled with the Holy Spirit is taking charge of the leadership of the church. But it's significant that uh, that we we learn how Peter went from this failure in his life to this place of uh, restored leadership and restored call, and uh, and this picture gives us a, a picture of, of how that happened. Um, at face value, it looks a bit cruel, actually. (laughs) Um, And certainly I would not have wanted to have been in in Peter's shoes. But it really is a great illustration of God's goodness and grace. And more than that, it is a great reminder for us of God's grace for us. So let's look at at how Jesus restored Peter. Uh, First off, we just need to not that we need to be reminded in great detail, but to get the context of Peter's failure to really understand what's happening in the story. Uh, Jesus uh, clearly uh, asks Peter this painful question Do you love me three times? Uh, clearly, it is connected with, with Peter's three denials. Uh, those two things clearly go together. And it's very clear that what Jesus is doing here with Peter has very much to do with his denial. Uh, we don't know all that happened between or all that transacted between Peter and Jesus on Jesus' other appearances. We know that from the other Gospels, there's at least one other time that Jesus appeared one-on-one with Peter. We don't know what happened there. We don't know if Peter just was dumbstruck and couldn't see anything, if uh, he confessed his sins, if Jesus uh, verbally gave some sense of forgiveness and grace. Um, we don't know. But in this story, uh, Peter um, comes to Jesus. Uh, he's with the group of disciples. They've been eating breakfast around the fire. And if you could just for a moment put yourself in Peter's shoes, you might sense some of the awkwardness of what's going on with Peter. Uh, at the very beginning of this Gospel, when when Jesus first called Peter, he renamed him. Uh, he says, you're going to be called Rocky, <laughs> Well, or the rock. <laughs> okay. uh, you're going to be called the rock. In the other Gospels, Jesus said, I'm, I'm calling you that because you are going to be the rock on which I build my church. So from day one, it was very clear that, that there was a call upon Peter's life to be the future leader of whatever it was that God was going to do. And Peter very much lived up to this calling. He was very much gifted and equipped to be a leader. He was clearly a, a man of action, you know, he was quick to do, you know, think about it later kind of thing. Act first, then, you know, see what falls out. Uh, he was bold. He was, uh, he was a go-getter. He was a guy that the other disciples clearly looked up to for leadership and direction. Uh, he was uh, oftentimes the spokesman for the group, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, he filled a very key role as a leader among the disciples, And uh, certainly, among the group of disciples, they would have uh, seen Peter as a key figure of of leadership as Jesus' ministry unfolded. Uh, Not only that, but Peter did have insight. He did think. He didn't only act. He did think. uh, Peter is the one who affirmed Jesus as the Messiah when Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Uh, John's account of it, um, Jesus in John chapter 6 says, Are you, everybody's abandoning me, everybody's leaving me. Are you also going to leave me? And Peter says, where else would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? So Peter was a guy who also had faith, who had insight into the person of Christ. Um, on top of that, Peter was, was a person of deep devotion and commitment. Peter had left his nets. He left the fishing industry. He left his father's business. To follow Jesus, Uh, he was deeply devoted to the cause of Christ. Uh, Before at the 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 Last Supper, before Jesus died, Peter was the one who said, "I will die for you." Okay, that's some serious commitment. Okay, he had counted the cost; he'd he'd weighed it all out. Okay, Peter was a guy of, of devotion, commitment, determination, boldness. All right, the kind of guy you want leading. And Jesus had affirmed that in his call. Um, Peter was clearly a guy of great confidence. All right, you see this confidence when he takes on this legion of Roman soldiers at Jesus' arrest, with his little sword, his little you know eight-inch sword. He you know he goes off after the guy, proves to be a very poor soldier, and cuts off his ear and doesn't really do other much damage. And Jesus makes it clear he's kind of misunderstanding the point. But nonetheless, he was a confident guy, alright? The problem was, as the Gospel unfolds, it becomes clear that a lot of Peter's confidence is self-confidence. It is confidence in himself, in his own abilities, in his own gifts. It is is the kind of leadership that many of us are. Independent, self-confident, self-assured, and headed for self-destruction. And that's what happens when we are self-confident and self-assured. Because our self will soon run out. And we know that's what happened with Peter. Uh, In his determination and self-confidence and commitment to make things happen on his own, he got himself into huge trouble. Another problem with, uh, uh, with the whole story of Peter, Peter definitely does get singled out. And the reality is that what Peter did was not necessarily any worse than what any of the other disciples did. All the disciples abandoned Jesus. All the disciples ran away. Uh, all of them, at some sense and at some level, failed Jesus. All of them failed to understand and grasp who Jesus was. The, the deal with Peter is, and this is the, many, and many of you who are in leadership roles, you know this. The problem with being a leader is being leader is very public. Right? There's nothing. Pri- when, when leaders mess up, you know, you just don't keep it secret. It's out there. Right? Um, when, when when leaders do stupid things, everybody knows about it. Right? Which is why uh, leadership oftentimes is not really all that great. Everybody wants to be a leader, but nobody wants to be a leader who's failed. Right? And everybody knew about Peter's failure. And this is the situation, okay? All the disciples know, Peter knows, Jesus knows, that on the night when Jesus was tried, three separate times, Peter flatly denied that he even knew Jesus. Alright? He completely broke the trust of friendship. Uh, He let Jesus down in a huge way, and everybody knew it. And the question now is, is Peter still fit to lead? So that's the issue. He had been called, he had been set apart, he had been chosen, he had been identified. But when it came to this critical time in life, Peter blew it big time. So now what? Uh, Is he disqualified? Did he ruin his shot at leading? Uh, Are we to write him off? All right? All right. Did Jesus write him off? I think probably most of the other disciples had written him off. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I'm thinking, you know, the other guys are thinking, hmm, I don't know about Peter. You know, he's a good guy. We love him. We're welcoming him back into the group. You know, we're all under grace. But can we follow him now as our leader? Right? Well, because of that, because his fall had been and his failure had been so public, it was necessary for Jesus to restore him publicly. And so here now, with everybody gathered around the campfire, eating breakfast, having a good time, Jesus says in front of everybody, and get the picture I mean, you're Peter, you're Jesus, everybody's standing around, and Jesus says to you, Peter, do you love me? We're talking about being put on the spot. But it was important that Jesus restore Peter and deal with this whole issue publicly so that everybody knows how things will work in God's kingdom. How do things work now in God's kingdom for those who mess up? What does it look like for leaders who fail in God's kingdom? Uh, what's the process? And this is a very important question. In, in our day, of course, leaders fail. People fail all the time. I mean, we all have mistakes. Uh, it, was a, it was an especially profound problem, though, when this gospel was written. Because at that time, the church was under severe persecution. Persecution. And not, well, there were some great martyrs, and you know, we've all read the stories of those great martyrs who stood up and gladly proclaimed Christ uh, as they were being burned at the stake or drawn in quartered. But for everyone who proclaimed Christ, there were just as many who denied Him. There were just as many who, in the moment of, of fierce persecution, uh, failed. And so the question was an important one. What do we do with those who have failed? who in the moment of testing did not stand up for Christ. What do we do with these people? Well, Jesus makes it clear what we do with these people. Uh, And it's important for us. Because the reality is, uh, if you have not failed yet, you will. (laughs) That's the good news, right? Uh, I want to ask you to raise your hands how many have just failed miserably. Uh, But... Leader, not leader, you know, important, not important public, not public, doesn't matter. The reality is that as followers of Christ, um, we all have moments and times when we walk in our own strength, when we rely on self, when we are confident in our own abilities, and that always gets us in trouble. That always gets us into a bad place, right? And what do we do when we fail? What do we do when those who are leading us fail? How do we deal with that? It's an important question. Uh, and it's important to know how we restore, how we are restored, uh, and what God's plan is. Well, certainly, um, Jesus makes it clear that this is not the end of, of Peter's ministry or leadership. Uh, and in this in this scene, Jesus makes it very clear that, that it may not, in fact, it's not the end of Ministry for Peter, but really, that it's the beginning of ministry for Peter. That it really is the beginning of a new phase of Peter's life, and it's a beautiful picture. Jesus says, uh, "Peter, do you love me?" It's a very interesting question. When I was about ten years old, I was in—I think I was in about fifth grade—a um, very my, my best friend, my, my all-time best friend. Uh, we lived in the little mountain community. We did everything together. Something just got into my friend, and we went to church together. Our families went to the same church. We both were nominally Christian, you know, we both named the name of Jesus. We were both just kind of brats who just really weren't following Christ at all. And one day, I don't know what possessed him, but he, while he was at our, at our house, stole some jewelry from my mom. Got into her jewelry box and stole a bunch of stuff. Well, you know, a few days later, my mom discovers this stuff's missing. And she uh, calls the police, and the sheriffs come and investigate. And I don't know how it all came out, but eventually he ended up confessing that he was the one who had had, had stole this stuff. And uh, he and his family came to our house, and he was just distraught and in tears and confessed the whole thing and and, uh, was just torn up. And what he desperately wanted was forgiveness. His friendship toward me was not changed. He still loved and. Valued my friendship very much. And as the offending party, his question to me was, not in so many words, but as his friend, he was was wanting to know for me, do I still love him? Uh, Sadly, being a wretched little 10-year-old who was selfish and stubborn, I couldn't forgive him. I could not at that time in my life. I was so angry at what he did because he had so betrayed my trust even though he still loved me and wanted to be my friend, I could not forgive him. When you look at this story of Jesus, it should have been the other way around, right? Jesus is the one who had been greatly offended. Jesus is the one who this sin had been against. Peter denied him as friend. It should have been the other way around. Uh, Peter should have been saying, Jesus, do you still love me? Right? But instead, Jesus in amazing grace, says, you know, Peter, my love for you is undisputed. You don't have to worry about that. I died on the cross to prove my love for you. There's no question about my love for you. And Jesus says this amazing thing, do you still love me? Amazing. Amazing. And as you look back through the Gospel... It is very clear that Jesus knew the end from the beginning. In John chapter 6, when when Peter makes this great declaration, Who else would he go to? You have the words of life. Jesus follows that up by saying in, in chapter 6, verse 68, He says, I have chosen all of you, but not one of you. One of you is a devil. Speaking of Judas. From the very beginning, Jesus knew each of the disciples and He called and chose each of the disciples. And He knew which ones would follow Him and which ones would mess up. He knew who would betray Him and who would deny Him. When Jesus called Peter the rock, He knew the day was coming when He would deny Him. Praise God. God's call in our life is not dependent on our performance. He knows... When he called you, when he called you to the place where you are in ministry now, when he called you to the place where he wants to serve you, he called already knowing everything you're going to screw up and do wrong. Isn't that great to know? He knows every mess up you're going to make. And he still calls you. Okay? He called Peter knowing the the path that he was headed down. He still called him. Alright? His call was not based on Peter's faithfulness or his ability to do this without messing up. All right? He says, Peter, do you love me? Uh, I, I I, I don't, it's dangerous to kind of speculate what goes on in people's minds and I don't want to do that too much. But I really believe that maybe for the first time in Peter's life, what Jesus had taught earlier that those who are forgiven much are loved much. That that must have become a reality for Peter. To just stand before Jesus and know how he had betrayed Jesus' friendship and trust. And to know that it did not phase Jesus' love for him. And that Jesus, in fact, longed for Peter's love in return. Uh, What that must have spoke to Peter. You see... I really believe that part of what made Peter a great leader was not that he didn't fail, but really that he did fail. Because it was through that failure that Peter learned firsthand the, the deep power of grace. Uh, you know, if you are a leader, if you're not a leader, if you have influence with people, I hope you're a person who has come to the end of yourself and have have discovered God's grace in your life. Uh, Nothing worse than following a leader who doesn't know grace. A leader who thinks they can lead by virtue of their own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. Uh, This may have done more to shape Peter as a leader than any event leading up to this point in his life. To come to understand grace. And uh, certainly, as Peter after this point, became a leader in the church, a shepherd in the church. He was one who knew how to deal compassionately and with grace those who failed. Okay, and, and in the future, he didn't do it perfectly. In, in Acts, we find Peter still kind of doing some dumb things sometimes. But he knew what it meant to walk in grace. Powerful medicine. Um, not only that, but it says Peter Peter responds... You know, up to this point, Peter had been a guy of confidence. Uh, if Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, Peter would say, no, you can't go to the cross. Let me straighten you out, right? I know better. When Jesus said, you're going to deny me, Peter says, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to die, I'm going to die for you. Don't tell me about myself. I know myself, right? He was a guy who had it all figured out, right? Now, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says... First words out is mouth, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. No longer is Peter confident about himself. No longer is no long, you know Peter got the lesson. Okay, I maybe don't know myself as well as I thought. Interestingly, in fact, Jesus' question the first time is is actually, Peter, do you love me more than these? And most likely, uh, there's some several options of what these could refer to. but most likely, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? A stinging, if that's true, a very stinging rebuke of Peter's attitude. Because up to this point, Peter had been Mr., you know, I'm the man guy. You know, He's the, you know, the basketball player that at the end of the game is the guy that wants the ball because he's the guy that's going to score the goal. Which is good in basketball, but in God's game... Uh, the go-to guy, you know, is Jesus, not us. Uh, Up to this point, Peter had thought he was the go-to guy. I'm the one you can count on, Jesus. Everybody else may leave you, but I'm going to die for you. You can count on me. And Jesus says, do you really love me more than the rest of these? Are you Mr. Super Spiritual? Are you Mr. I've got it together? And you see a much more humbled, broken Peter says, Lord, you know. You know my heart. Peter doesn't say, I love you more, I love you less. He just says simply, Lord Jesus, you know me. You know my heart. You know my love. I can't say about anybody else. Okay? He's a guy who's now humble and who knows that the important thing is not what he thinks about himself. It's what God thinks about him. It's not his own assessment of his own love or his own uh, greatness compared to others. What matters is Jesus' assessment of his heart. He says, Lord, you know my heart. Uh, you know my love for you, whatever it is, great or small. I can't lie to you. I can't lie to myself. You know my heart. Um, I really do believe that uh, it is significant that of all the things Jesus could have asked, he asked this question. Uh, Jesus could have said, you know, Peter... Are you going to mess up anymore? Can I count on you? Are you going to pull it together? He doesn't ask that. He doesn't say, Peter, you know, you messed up. Did you learn anything? Doesn't ask that, does he? He doesn't say, you know, Peter, can you follow directions? He says, Peter, do you love me? Uh, You know, when it comes down to it in our Christian life, that is the one thing that matters. Do we love Jesus? Now, he does commission Peter to ministry. He he reinstates uh, his call on Peter's life. But none of that matters if Peter does not really love Jesus. Uh, None of of it matters what Peter could do, the potential for his life, uh, the plans God has to unfold, this this church, this huge church that Peter will be the, the founding leader of. None of that matters if Peter hasn't sorted out his love and heart's affection for Jesus. Everything else must come out of that. Oh man, how often in my own life I get that backwards. I work to prove to God how good I am. I work to earn God's love. I work to prove that I'm a worthy candidate. Jesus said it doesn't work that way. You just love me first, okay? You love me. I love you with all my heart. And I, in my grace, have accepted and called you to myself. And what I long for from you is just your love and affection. That's what matters most. First things first. Do you love me? Do you love me three times? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And really, Jesus, every day, asks us that that same question. Whether we've sinned or not sinned, whether we've messed up, whether we've failed horribly... Whether we failed right out in front of God and everybody where everybody knows it or we failed in private where nobody sees it. The question Jesus asks is not, you know, how many more times are you going to mess up or when are you going to get your life together? What Jesus wants to know is right now where you are at. Can you lay aside all your mistakes and failures and just focus on one simple thing and that is loving me. Loving me. And Peter, uh, in humility, but also with truth, says, Yes, Lord, I do love you. You know that I love you. Uh, And in fact, uh, the grief and agony that Peter must have gone through up to this point was proof of his deep love and affection for Jesus. Because he loved Jesus so much, it made what he did so, so painful. And so Jesus restores that broken relationship. He says, Peter, we're, we're good. If you love me, we're good. It's good. And God offers that. Amazingly, God offers that to each and every one of us. Uh, there is nothing you can ever do, ever, that will destroy God's love, that will disqualify you from God's love. Isn't that, isn't that great? Uh, His grace is sufficient. His grace is huge. But beyond that, uh, Jesus restores the relationship, but He also recommissions or reinstates Peter to His ministry. And it's a ministry of making disciples. He doesn't actually use that language uh, directly in this passage. Uh, he uses actually the language of the picture of shepherding and sheep. Three times He asks Peter, Do you love me? Three times, he says, Okay, if you love me, then I have a job for you. Okay? And that job is to reinstate you to a position of leadership and significance. Okay? It's not a small job. You're still Peter the Rock. You're still the guy that I am planning as the founding leader of my church. And he says, If you love me, then feed my sheep. Now, you know, again, there's a lot of things Jesus could have said. And by using these terms and casting it in this phrase, Jesus gives a picture of what the church is. And it's really not all that glorious or impressive, okay? Um, Feed my sheep. You know, this is not what Peter was hoping for, I don't think. I think Peter would have loved it if Jesus had said, then command my army of brave and loyal soldiers. That's us, right? We're all brave and loyal soldiers. Well, we are soldiers, and certainly, you know, I love that song, uh, Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. I like that one. Let me command an army. I like that. Jesus does not use those terms. Jesus does not say, Peter, then manage my great corporate enterprise. Okay, I'm going to take over the world by this great corporation that you're going to be the CEO of. You know, be the CEO of my company. Does not say that. Uh, he, does, uh, he does not say, then, Peter, I hereby appoint you as governor and ruler over my kingdom. Man, Peter would have liked that. No, no, none of that. None of that. He says, okay, then please take care and feed my little lambs. First time off, little lambs. Not even big sheep. I don't even get rams. I don't even get manly sheep. Maybe we got lambs. Little fluffy lambs, right? And Jesus, uh, in this picture of restoring Peter, gives a great characterization of the nature of the church and its leaders. It's a, it's a, a lesson that, that Peter understood fully. And In 1 Peter chapter 5, he challenges other elders uh, everywhere through all time to shepherd as he did, to be elders as he did. In and, and 1 Peter 5, uh, 5.1 He says, And now a word to you who are elders in the church, I too am an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ. And I too share in his glory, uh, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Almost the exact words that Jesus commissioned him. He said, This is what it is. This is how it works. World is a bunch of sheep. And uh you know, we're taking over the world. We're building God's kingdom as sheep. And uh, our job as leaders is to shepherd. Um, interestingly, in, in uh, chapter 20, uh, when Jesus first appeared to all the disciples, it says, He says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me into the world, so I am sending you. Uh, Jesus is saying, the ministry that I'm calling you to is identical to the ministry that the Father has called me to. One of shepherding uh, this crazy band of sheep. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the character and nature of sheep and how it applies to us, but certainly it is a picture of people who are weak and helpless, desperately in need of of a leader, Uh, people who are not terribly bright or strong. And Jesus says, Peter, my, my, my people need a shepherd. Great Old Testament allusions in Ezekiel of the failure of Israel's leaders to properly shepherd the flock. And as a result, those from the outside were coming in and destroying the sheep. Uh, Jesus is the great shepherd. And he appoints and commissions us to be shepherds alongside with him joining with him in the very exact kind of ministry that he is in shepherding sheep uh, he uses three terms to describe what this this uh, shepherding looks like two times he says just feed them okay so in essence uh, we as ministers and that includes all of us who are believers and I'll talk in a minute it, it's it's about Peter but it, it really applies to all of us we have a job of in the line of food service, okay? It's not bad enough to be a, a shepherd. Now we're cooks, right? We're in the food service ministry, right? He says, feed them. Just feed them. Uh, middle time, he says, tend to them. Take care of them. Nurture them. Watch over them, right? Um, uh, the picture of a shepherd feeding the sheep, what does that look like? Well, it doesn't mean that the shepherd eats for the sheep, all right? It means really that the shepherd leads the sheep to places where there's good pasture. Okay? The shepherd still has to actually I mean the sheep has to actually do the eating themselves. But it's the job of the shepherd to help lead them to places where there's good pasture. And it really does speak of the priority importance of God's word as part of our ministry and our life. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has used some amazing images of feeding. Okay, and probably, you know, it's a good picture because everybody likes to eat. Does anybody eat yet today? Anybody? Did everybody get some scones? All those yummy scones. Thank you to Denise who oversaw that project so we could all eat. Uh, I love eating. It's something I try to do at least once a day, if not 10, 12 times a day. Uh, it sustains us. And Jesus used that image. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. The great image in John chapter 15 of the vine sustaining the branches, feeding the branches, right? Over and over again, Jesus has said, I am the sustaining food in your life. And now Jesus passes on to Peter the job of bringing people to the place where they find life and sustenance in Jesus. That's the job of feeding. Uh, It's not that... Peter now becomes smarter than everybody else and he tells them all the answers to life. It really is the job of leading the sheep to the place where they find Jesus and they learn to drink in his living water. They learn to eat of his bread of life. They learn to draw from that vine the sustaining life of Christ. That's the job that that Jesus has given to Peter. Uh, And it really is the hallmark of any strong and healthy church uh good strong healthy churches are churches that help people feed on Christ who bring people to a place where they are sustained and nurtured daily in Christ where the word is a priority in ministry uh, every once in a while I get people who who try to you know give advice about our church and uh, give suggestions that maybe we should you know not 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 have preaching every Sunday and uh, you know I just kind of freak out when people say that. I try to be patient, but uh, from, from Jesus' time on earth to present, strong and healthy churches are churches that are, are all about eating. okay. And I don't mean just potlucks, although I like those. I mean daily, regularly, weekly, consuming God's Word. Right? It's a priority in our church, and it should be a priority in our life. Uh, This was a call to Peter, but it really is not just a call to Peter. It is a call to every leader in a church, every leader in an organization. But even more than that, I believe it really is a call to every believer. Uh, We all exercise it at different levels, but we are really all called to be shepherds. If you love Jesus, this could be said of all of us, if you love Jesus, then feed my sheep. Uh, That may mean a mom tending to the little sheep in her own household, uh, nurturing them up in Christ. Uh, It may mean uh, the circle of people that you work with, your friends, your co-workers. It may mean uh, the people that you have brought to Christ who you are mentoring and discipling. As a teacher, it may mean the students that you have a connection with, that you mentor and disciple. All of life ought to be about tending sheep, Ought to be about helping others feed, feeding ourselves, being mentored and led and fed, so that we can in turn mentor and feed and lead others. Uh, Matthew uh, says more directly and pointedly uh, in the Great Commission that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. It is the call of every believer,
1: and I love it that
0: that, that Jesus says this specifically to Peter this guy who failed and messed up, doesn't matter. You still have a job to do of making disciples by bringing people to the Word, to the truth of Christ, and teaching them to find nurturing life in Him. That's the job of every believer. And Jesus makes it clear to Peter and to all those present that you know, Peter is reinstated. Okay? His call has not changed. His ministry is not diminished. Grace covers it all. Amen? Grace covers it. And uh, he is to be a disciple maker. He is to be a shepherd of the sheep, as we are all to be a shepherd of God's sheep, God's family. Uh, the book ends with a couple interesting little side, side notes. The first is that Jesus uh, identifies uh, kind of the future about Peter and John. Uh, he says to Peter, you know, you're going to you are going face the same kind of death that I did. You're going to be crucified. Um, I don't know that I would really want to know that. <laughs> you know, there are some things I think I would rather live without. Uh, I don't know why Jesus shared this. Maybe it was to, uh, as a word of confidence, that Peter, the next time you face... Persecution. I know that you will stand up to the cause. I know that you will not back down. I am confident that by the Holy Spirit's power in your life, next time it comes around to it, you will, glad, you will gladly die for me. Maybe it was a statement of Jesus' faith and confidence in the work of grace in his life. I don't know. But we know that Peter lived for about three more decades, about 30 more years after this. Uh, the church experienced tremendous persecution. Uh, his church in Jerusalem saw people killed for the faith, martyred for the faith. And uh, I just can't imagine that every time Peter got drugged off to prison, uh, was arrested by the Pharisees, came under persecution, that he's thinking, oh boy, here goes. You know, Here comes the cross. Talk about a guy having to take up daily his cross. Wow. And he did. Uh, in his, not because he was brave. I don't believe because he was a great leader. But I believe because of his affirmation that, yes, Lord Jesus, I love you. Really, that's the strength and power in our life to take up our cross, isn't it? Not because we're determined or brave or strong, but because we love Jesus. And because we love him, we will carry his cross. It also makes it very clear that uh, the church, the life of the believer, is not just a life of victory. It is a life of victory because of the cross, and ultimately, we win. Ultimately, God's plan will be carried out in our life, even even though we fail. But it is a life where we can expect difficulty and persecution and suffering. Uh, Jesus does not promise... um, that life will be easy. He promises eternal life, not comfortable life, right? And I think too many people live for life eternal and think that means life in eternal comfort, right? Jesus never promised that. And He makes it very clear for Peter and for John as well and all the other disciples. Life is not going to be easy for you. Follow me. He says, follow me. That's... That's that's our call. And Jesus went to the cross, and if Jesus went to the cross and we follow Him, then following Him means that for us there will be difficulty and suffering. There will be hard times. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, uh, Peter, and apparently at this point, kind of the scene has shifted, and it uh, they're walking along the beach, they're walking together, and... and um, Walking a few steps behind them is, is, is John, the beloved disciple. And Peter, you know, says, well, what about him? How's he going to die? I'm getting crucified. How's he dying off, you know? And Jesus said, just mind your own business. The short answer. That's what he says. He says, it's none of your business. Maybe I'll have him remain forever. Uh, through that, apparently, a rumor got started that John was going to live till Jesus returned. And we know from other sources that there were those teaching that Jesus' return, second coming, was imminent. And that basically they had until John died. Well, at this point of writing, John was very old. And they go, Well, here you go. He's about to kick off. That means Jesus has got to come back, right? Because as soon as John dies, Jesus is coming. So that's what Jesus said. So John is trying to correct some bad teaching. Um, but through this, Jesus also teaches, and it's very clear, that we each walk our own path. Uh, each of us has a unique spiritual path and adventure, a unique journey with Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, Peter, you're called to one thing, John is called to something else. Each of us are called uniquely to our own path of following Jesus. You know, uh, some people uh, are called to a life of poverty Following Jesus, other people are called to a life of wealth. Okay, I want to be the second group. I'm stuck in the first, right? Uh, some people are called to terrible suffering. Some of our brothers and countries around here are persecuted severely for their faith and have suffered terrible physical pain and hardship because of their faith. Others of us have incredible freedom, all right? It's very easy to start comparing our story with somebody else's story, right? It's so easy for us to start saying, well, how come they get the new car and I have to still drive the beat up old Suzuki? That's not fair, right? How come they get the big church with all the people and the, you know, the worship teams and the cool building and all the big stuff? And I'm out in some rural church, you know, in a bamboo shack. And why does it work that way? Okay. Have any of you compare, ever compared your life with somebody else? No. <laughs> no, we don't do that, right? Jesus says each person's journey is unique. And don't compare your story with somebody else's, okay? God's grace will be uniquely demonstrated in your life through your story and in fact he says follow me he says follow the path I have called you to don't be focusing on other people don't be focusing on other ministries or other leaders or other organizations he says you follow me you keep your eyes firmly fixed on me that's all that matters you follow me down the path I have called you to and it, it will be different for each of you And finally, he closes by saying, uh, you know, this is the one who testifies to these events. I am an eyewitness. I record what I have seen. John says, "I I have had this amazing encounter and experience with Christ. And in the end, all I've done is just written down my own experience with Jesus. My story of encountering Christ. Now, Jesus, John was very unique in that he encountered the living incarnate Jesus. He got to see him crucified. He got to see the risen Lord. And he bore witness to that. And in that sense, John has a very unique story. Okay, uh, And because of that, it gets recorded in the Bible as one of the four Gospels. And it has a certain weight and authority to it. Uh, But John concludes with these amazing words. He says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world cannot contain the books that would be written. And I really believe uh, with all my heart that every one of us is worthy of a gospel. That really, as Jesus is revealed to us, and as we encounter the cross and the grace of Christ in our life, we all really bear witness to the same kind of experience that John did. Okay, Ours is not uh, one with a historical Jesus who lived in, and walked in flesh, but it is the same Jesus who encounters us in our heart and soul and who has radically transformed our life. As I get older, uh, which seems to accelerate as you get older, right? I started thinking, you know... I should write down my life uh, so that people who you know are really bored at some point in the future and have nothing better to do could read about my story. And I think often, what would I write? Have you thought about what you would write? Uh, the reality is that Jesus is doing this incredible story of unfolding his gospel in every single one of our lives. And the reality is that... Uh, Whether you write it down or not, uh, it is worth writing. And someday the story will be told. And there's some parts of it we're not going to be real proud of. There's going to be our moments of failure. But even in those, God's grace shines through, doesn't it? Even in Peter's huge failure, it served to display God's grace. His incredible, powerful grace. And not only that, but in his successes and the things that Peter did well, you see the power of God at work. Every one of your life is worth that kind of story. And, uh, you know, Satan oftentimes tells us we're nothing, we're nobody, we're not important. It's not true. If everything that Jesus did could be told, it would fill the world many times over. And what Jesus is doing in your life is a story worth telling. Uh, You have an incredible gospel being written in your life. And just as John wrote it down and proclaimed it to tell the world what Jesus had done in his life, uh, we have a call to be telling our story, to be sharing the gospel according to Tim and the gospel according to what God is doing in your life. Uh, And someday it will bring glory to God. As the cross of Christ bears its mark in your life and you become a testimony of God's goodness and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do really just thank you so much for each person here and uh, just every life represented uh, a story of your incredible unfolding grace, uh, a story that still is being written. Uh, with chapters of of discouragement and failure and uh, and just of hardship, but also chapters of great success, of a great move of your grace, of an ever-growing and increasing understanding of your love and your power in our life. But I really do pray for every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would... Just help us to have a glimpse of the end of the story uh, where we know that Jesus will be exalted in us. As we follow you, as we uh, shepherd people around us, as we learn to daily feed more and more on your word and your truth, uh, Lord, we pray that our lives truly would bring glory to your name. And uh, that we just we thank you most of all for Christ, for the cross. Uh, that even though we fail you miserably sometimes, your love for us is constant. And all you ask, all you ask is of us, is do you love me, Lord Jesus? We do love you, and pray that that love would be poured out in a life rich in grace. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.